Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently low. What was that? Oh, oh my god. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you worked at it, you really could be attractive. I'm like, hey, man. I think it was one of the first horror movies I put on our list, and just watching it again, I was just like, I made a mistake when Jesse Eisenberg's name popped up. Jesse Eisenberg? <laughs> no! Who did you say played the brother? Makes out with Jimmy for no reason. <laughs> Jimmy didn't earn that kiss. He did. Where we're going, you don't need us. <laughs> Here's the fourth annual Forgotten Horror. Boo. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're now entering the house of the devil, the apartment of the damned, and the shanty town of lost souls. Welcome to the fourth annual Forgotten Horror. Each episode, we'll discuss a film that was forgotten by audiences. Perhaps they were too busy running from the ghosts of murdered children. Maybe they were bitten by a strange creature and like to howl at the moon. Or maybe they're being terrorized by an ancient wooden fetish doll. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you're not getting sucked into an event horizon and ripping your skin from your face, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us or we'll find you. Our podcast is available on all platforms for your listening displeasure. Very well How's that done. Going for Very you well like done. that? Very well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we are starting our forgotten horror season. Uh, if people who listen to the show know that every October we basically cover some uh, horror films for the four or five weeks, whatever, whatever that falls on that on that year. But we are starting off with a special guest today, which I, who I've been trying to get on this podcast for a while, basically me telling Butler I wanted to get you on, John. So, <laughs> like, it's like, uh, Butler was like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. I, I know. Just, I know. He always hated me. It's I just, fine. I just kept saying, I really want to get John on the show. I really, I want to get John Antsman on the show. Yeah, that's really not the way you said it. was like, I was going, push your guests. He was, he was. I don't want John. But um, so we are joined by uh, John Doolin, who is a host of, a co-host of the You Can't Sit With Us podcast. John, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Lights, camera, and me without a stitch of makeup on. Here we are. Now, I listen to your show, John, uh, but I know I probably, I try to tell people, hey, I listen to this podcast. You can't say with us. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Introduce your your podcast real briefly uh, or however long you want to go. So usually we, uh, so you can't sit with us is me and Spencer. And we basically do a lot of like cult films. We do a lot of queer cinema. We do a lot of horror. We basically do a lot of trash. So (laughs) it's, it's a lot of like, um, did this, does this movie make me look gay kind of stuff, you know, like real campy, very queer. Um, and you know, we haven't recorded, we we actually did record pretty recently and I lost the episode. So whoopsie technology. Yeah, that was fun. Um, but we're on a little hiatus because Spencer's on a shoot and I'm in the middle of writing three projects right now, but we will be coming back soon because I saw something called they slash them on Peacock that I need to discuss with Spencer. <laughs> Ooh, I, I, I know, I know we talked real briefly about that. So I, I still want to see it, even though you, you gave me your uh, review of it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I recommend you see it okay. to see it for your own eyes for sure. But yeah, we do any, anything that is kind of like, like, you know, we talk about movies that we love that most people can't stand. Like, you know, we had we gushed over Batman and Robin for two hours one time. You know, <laughs> we talk about showgirls all the time. Drop Dead Gorgeous. You know, anything that has like a weird queer cult following. Yeah, absolutely. And I everyone out there, I recommend you uh, to listen to the podcast. Um, it's I think it's very funny. I know you guys personally. So maybe that's also where I'm coming from. Uh, that could be it. Yeah. <laughs> from, from people who don't know. Uh, John Spencer, Mike, and myself all worked at a movie theater uh, in uh, over here in Milford. Actually, John, I don't know if you know this, but none of us work there anymore. I don't know if you're aware of that. I do know that. So I've been going a lot lately to watch movies, <laughs> like to because I hadn't gone for a while, and like every time I go there, somebody that I know still works there. And like last time I went there the other night and the ticket taker, she was like, oh, John, I miss you being here. And I said, girl, I don't miss this place at all. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, I couldn't like it, it took me forever to not real to realize I don't have to work on like Saturday yes, night or something yeah. like that for the longest time. I know Butler just left. So he's still kind of in that gray phase of, uh, you know, terrorized that he needs to keep going to work and stuff like that. Right, Mike? I did wake up just, what was it? What did I tell you? Tuesday, I woke up yeah. in like a cold sweat going, oh, I'm late. 
I go, wait, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So enough about that. Um, let's get into the movie we're doing this week. Now, for people who don't know, when we have a guest on, I usually just send them a list of movies. Or are we, uh, uh, I don't know if I sent you the big list, John, but I know we were going to do Forgotten Horror with you. So it, yeah. it might've been an abbreviated list. And I basically say, pick whatever you want to do or you know, if you want to do a movie, you know, we'll do it if it's not on the list. And what movie did you choose for us? Um, I chose from your list and I chose Trilogy of Terror. I was actually going to choose a different one, but I thought Spencer was going to do this with me. But unfortunately, he's on a shoot right now. That son of a um, <laughs> I was originally going to choose Curse because I have a lot to say about that one. But I knew Spencer would want to do Trilogy of Terror. And I also would have loved to do done trilogy of terror as well so that is the one i went with excellent yes i i get i told mike that i thought you would pick cursed i was like he's gonna go with cursed i know it see i was and pretty that, sure both john and spencer would absolutely want trilogy of terror and i was you know surprised this is a reckoning coming it's it's <laughs> like what a year or two in the making since you guys did burnt offerings and <laughs> yeah. just were like not high on it and uh, you know I, some, I, I love burnt somebody offerings. It's just got somebody issues. has to come on here and give Dan Curtis's directing style some love <laughs> and a Karen Black goddess that she is some love as well. Excellent. That's you know what? That's that's what I like to hear. Awesome. Mike. <laughs> so before I get into some of the facts, uh, why don't you let everyone know what Trilogy of Terror is about real quickly? OK, real quickly. The same woman, Karen Black, appears in three tales as a black male teacher, a tormented lover and opposite sisters. That's kind of weird. That's it. That's, that's it. The synopsis. I told you it was a short synopsis. So, because we'll, we're gonna go because it's three different like short vignettes, each one. I figure as mm -hmm. we go through them, we'll kind of talk about them as we go, like what each one's about. Yeah, that makes sense. So, for those who don't know, Trilogy of Terror has a runtime of seventy-two minutes. It's unrated because this was actually an ABC uh, uh, movie of the week. I think it was on a Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday, March fourth, nineteen seventy-five. I wasn't even born yet. Amazing. And uh, this film came out on at eight thirty on a Tuesday night on ABC. Which um, I wonder, I, I just I don't know how you guys feel sometimes about like these films that you watch now, and you wonder like I wonder what the reaction was when this was out, um, you know, on the TV show. Somebody's flipping around because you know TV back then is different than TV now, um, especially network TV. I'm I'm just fascinated by like what would be the reaction of people that just flip it on, seeing like oh, let's see what the movie of the week is, not knowing what they were going to get. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think people were absolutely gobsmacked by this thing when yep. it aired in, <laughs> in the seventies. And I'll get into why when you go into segment by segment, but it pushes a lot of boundaries for as somebody who watches TV movies a lot from that era, this is goes places that those others wouldn't dare, especially when you have standards and practices at play with the mm -hmm. networks. It's sometimes really difficult to, Tell people that, you know, maybe who are haven't experienced these type of movies who are younger and don't understand like, you know, when, like oh, I've seen this stuff before. It was like, yeah, but you don't understand when this came out. It, nobody was doing this. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? You, it's really difficult to kind of get them to understand that. Um, I mean, I I'm know thinking that the, of people uh, in my head. The final vignette with the Zuni warrior, that was like, I remember growing up because the reason I watched it was because my mother always said it was like one of the scariest things she ever saw on TV was the, <laughs> uh, the last sketch. And uh, for the longest time, I thought I had seen the other two vignettes, but I guess I had not. I'd only seen, and I had seen the third one like a bunch of times. I love the third vignette. But like John to said. To be fair, most people that see those other two kind of forget that they exist. That's anyway. true. So you might have seen them. <laughs> but John, you're right that it does push a lot of boundaries when you look at the yeah. other two vignettes as taking place in 1975. Because I was thinking the yeah. same thing. Like, how was this allowed on ABC? For sure. Especially that first one. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, uh, so let's get into it. Production company was ABC Circle Films and Dan Curtis Productions, distributed by Buena Vista International and Disney ABC Domestic Television. Uh, as we talked about, as John said, it was directed by Dan Curtis, who has done the TV show Dark Shadows, the TV movie The Night Strangler, and, of course, Burnt Offerings, uh, a movie we did, I want to say, was that our first season, Butler, of Forgotten Horror? I think it second? might have been the first season or second season, first season? of Forgotten okay. Horror. So stories one and two, these are all based on uh, Richard Matheson uh, short stories uh, or stories. And then the, the first two, story one and story two, which are Amarta Julia, right? Julie. Um, am I got that wrong already? Good job, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Julie. Julie. <laughs> Julie and then Millicent and Therese. Those were written by William F. Nolan, 
who also wrote Burnt Offerings and Logan's Run. And the third one, which Butler was referring to, which is Amelia, which is basically about the, the warrior doll, uh, was written by Richard Matheson because he thought that he had to write that because he needed to make sure that that was written correctly, I guess, which is which is an interesting note I saw. But I did not know he wrote Jaws 3D, John. I did not know Oh, that. he sure enough did. Well, yeah. he's one of, the, <laughs> one of the multiple writers on that movie, a.k.a. <laughs> AKA Jurassic Park before Jurassic Park existed. Right. If you ask me, Michael Crichton has a lot of answers to <laughs> give us. He also wrote House of Usher and Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh, this was cinematographer Paul Lohman, who did Nashville, High Anxiety, Mommy Dearest, and Kidco. I always say Kidco because I, for some reason, remember that movie. For, I don't know why growing up, but I just remember these kids selling manure. And I just, I don't know why I remember that movie all the time. Uh, composer was Bob Colbert, who's done the TV show, The $100,000 Pyramid. He's done all those episodes, which is amazing. And the TV show Dark Shadows. Edited by Les Green, who did the TV show Mod Squad and Macmillan and Wife. And produced by Dan Curtis. I tried to find movies that he produced that he didn't direct. Uh, what I could find was The Picture of Dorian Gray from 1973 and The Night Stalker from 72. He primarily did TV movies. Is that accurate, John? Because you probably know That's Dan Curtis. That's very movie. accurate. I mean, Burt Offerings was his big theatrical one, but he worked in TV a lot. Yeah. That, that. Um, even. It, even like throughout his later career, I mean, he even did like Trilogy of Terror too, which good luck finding. I, yeah, we had that. I, Butler, I was telling John, I'm like, I was going to try to watch it just to kind of like complete it because, you know, it's just okay, let me watch it just so I can have that background. And I couldn't find it anywhere. I hadn't Nowhere tried yet, but found. the first, obviously I want to see the, the sequel uh, Zuni Warrior one, but the first story sounded kind of cool as well when I was reading about it. What was the first? Story? I haven't seen it since I was 10, <laughs> so I couldn't tell you what that movie's like. I'm sure it's terrible, but I loved it at the time. <laughs> uh, the first story had a bunch of people trying to grave rob uh, a woman's husband because he has all his money or his will in the grave. And there are giant rats in the tunnels behind underneath the graveyard and they eat people. Jeez. Wait a minute, I might really have seen weird. that. That sounds familiar. It came out in 1996. You might have seen it and just forgot about it. Maybe. Maybe. All right. So as we know, as we already said, Karen Black is in this movie. She plays Julie. She plays all the leads uh, in, the, in the shorts, Julie, Millicent, Therese, and Amelia. Uh, she was nominated for an Oscar for five easy pieces. She's also an easy writer. She's in the 1974 The Great Gatsby, the movie Nashville, which she, um, she won a Grammy for Nashville, I think. Uh, she uh, wrote two songs in that movie and performed them. I want to say she won a Grammy. Maybe she was nominated. She also won Family Plot, House of a Thousand Corpses, and of course, Burn Offerings. John, what have I missed with Karen Black is in that you want to tell How me? dare you? Tell me. Tell me what I missed. Up the Toby Hooper classic, Invaders from Mars. There you go. Also, she was in Gypsy 83, which is a super fucking weird. So can I swear on this? Yes. Of course you can. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> super fucking weird kind of emo gay teen movie from 2001. So that's my sweet spot. Um, and she played like a, an aging diva who like stalked around the room singing and like wearing like fur and everything. So high recommend mm. on that. Interesting. Interesting. So in the, so I have the credits of everyone else and I'll take them story by story. So the first story, Julie is as stars Chad is played by Robert Burton, who is Karen Black's husband at the time of the, of the production of the film, but not when the film movie came out. Correct. <laughs> yeah. He's in the TV show, Texas, the TV show Lassie, and then he quit and moved into commercial real estate. So I'm, I'm sure he's doing a good job right now. Uh, Jim Storm plays Eddie, which was his friend. He's in the TV, the soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful, and the TV show, The Doctors. Uh, and then Gregory Harrison plays that dude at the end, Arthur, who's clearly going to get um, entranced again. And he's from the TV show, Trapper John, MD, for all them young people out there who have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, in the second one, which was Melissa and Therese, you had John Carlin as Thomas. He's in Dark Shadows and Cagney and Lacey. And then George Gaines, who as the doctor, who everyone's going to know as uh, the father from Punky Brewster. And and then the Police Academy movies. I think that's the only two things people know him from. It's got to be. <laughs> and then the last one, this is my note for the last one. I have Walker Edmiston as the Zuni fetish doll. So he's the voice of the doll that makes it, obviously the screaming voices, but he is the voice of Slugworth and Willy Wonka. They used his, he dubbed over <laughs> the actor who played Slugworth and Willy Wonka. And I was like, that's a weird note. I need to talk about that. <laughs> All right. So, Let's take it movie by movie, and then I'll try to get in some facts. If you want, we can pepper in some facts as we go, which is completely fine. Um, but let's definitely try to stay on just like short story by story so we can 
kind of focus on that. How do you want to kick off Julie? Uh, I, actually, you know, what? I got my first question about Julie. And maybe what, one of you guys know this, if you can answer it. What exactly is Julie supposed to be? Uh, okay, I was going to bring this up <laughs> as well. I I think you can have a couple different readings of it. I mean, obviously, there's just the straightforward reading where she is just a like a serial killer human, you know. But then, you know, there's also like, is she like a succubus? Is she a siren? And there's also like, there's a lot of like, there's, you know, her last name is Eldridge, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, the Eldridge horrors, which is the whole. Oh, um, right. Yep. That's like a. Uh, what the hell? Who's that? Who's that awful author? Um, not Love, awful. Lovecraftian like awful, kind of a Lovecraft. Thing. Yeah, terrible human being, but not a bad author. Yeah, <laughs> the elder, you know, the Lovecraft Eldritch Horror. So I was like thinking, I was like, she must be like some kind of like mythical creature. And there's also like references to Jonathan Harker from Dracula. Dracula like yep, that's yep, the, yep. Yeah, that's like the fake name he uses. So in my mind, she's some kind of like mythical siren luring in trash men to destroy them. Well, she puts that image of herself into his head. I mean, that's what I assume. Yeah, she, yeah. He, yeah. she even uh, has him use the exact same words that she thought of because she didn't hear him from all that far away about wondering Correct. what's under all those yeah. clothes. She definitely mm-hmm. put that in his head. So she, so not only is she somebody who clearly is of some kind of supernatural being, but she's also somebody who well, gets off on being taken advantage of. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, that was, so <laughs> the politics of this one are a little complicated. Um, at one point, you know, when you're watching it and it gets to the end, you're like, fuck yeah, you know, like good for it. You know, it's almost like a Jennifer's body thing. I'll mm-hmm. reference Jennifer's body any chance That's I can okay, get. That's okay, go you. for it. <laughs> um, uh, where she's like, you know, she's wronged by men. And so she's kind of taking revenge on it. So like, you know, when she kills him at the end, you're like, oh, fuck yeah. But then you're like, wait a second. Like she let that go on for a while. So was she getting off on it? Was it part of her game? Like that. Did she like like being, you mm-hmm. know, gang banged and everything? Because that's what we're alluded to at right. some point. I when mean, she's, yeah. you know, so it's so it's like it's a very like mixed. And that's why I'm going with the fact that she's kind of like a mythical kind of demon woman, because it makes it a little more easy to swallow that like she can take it, you know, mm-hmm. like without mm-hmm. it, I almost feel like the message we're supposed to learn from it is that she's seeking out these men that are already trash. And since she's kind of like an otherworldly being, I'm reading so much into this right now, by the way, but I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like, you know, she's taking these men out so they can't cause pain on any actual woman, you know, in the real world. I, I almost think that also she could be somebody who uh, not is immortal, but ages very slowly. So that maybe this kind of thing that she's into this kind of, I was going to say kink, but this kink that Mm -hmm. she's into is something because she's also bored. And that's what she alludes to a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it's uh, one of the things that we always talk about on the show is, is sometimes when it's, when we're left to kind of, like you say, read into it, John, you know, is that we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, like is, is that something that the writer just didn't think about or, are they just kind of like you figure it out? Well, you know, that's that's the whole fun of it. I don't know where you fall on that. Um, I, do, I, I don't think the writer didn't think about it. I think that the, it is kind of left open to your interpretation. I mean, like Richard Matheson is not like a willy nilly kind of just throw something together writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so he always kind of has a point like nothing is really accidental in his storytelling except for Jaws 3, but that's another piece entirely. <laughs> um, but, you know, a girl's got to eat, and I'm sure that was a great paycheck for him. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it it is very, like, you know, she does have that line where she says, you know, like, oh, you know, there was one who lasted almost nine weeks because he was creative. Mm-hmm. So she does kind of, like, get off, in a sense, on this, like, torture that these men are putting her through. And I don't know if it's, like, maybe that, you know, the more they put her through, the more glee she gets out of murdering them at the end, you know, the more justified she feels. I, you can interpret it anyway, I feel like. And that's that's sometimes okay. And I feel like that morality in horror movies is always kind of up for interpretation, especially when you don't have like a clear good guy like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think also you, think... I mean, oh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah. I also think when you do short form horror films like this, and I think, Field, we talked about it well, not on the microphone, maybe it was during an episode where we talk about the movie Us and how it doesn't explain anything. 
but you watch mm-hmm. it for two hours and how that's kind of frustrating, but it's okay when it's something like an Outer Limits episode or a Twilight Zone when you have a limited amount of time. I mean, this is only an hour and 17 minutes, so you can't really go as far into in depth. So I think that kind of excuses you as a writer, kind of, you can have those ideas in your head, but you kind of want the viewer to kind of pick that up and go as, as you go, because you have to tell a story a lot quicker. I always view the horror genre as almost similar to how I view uh, short films where short films, you know, you, you're, you have a lot of leeway to do whatever you want in a short film. You're not, you're not uh, bound by the three act structure. You can create a three act structure in a short film, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And in horror films as a genre as a whole, I always think that you're given leeway to take those kind of chances and you're given leeway to just do things that maybe don't make sense, but you just kind of want to leave it out there to see how they, how people react to it. I think you can play a lot in horror, the horror genre. John, I know you're, you write in the horror genre uh, more than anyone. So what do you think? Is that how you attack a horror script? Do you think, or do you try to have a clear message? So like, I always kind of try to have a clear message, but the thing is, you know, when you write something, it's going to get interpreted different by like everybody. Um, so like, for example, you know, like I'll like one movie that I wrote, like dead souls, I had a clear image of what I was saying with that and it's filtered through somebody else. And so they're having a different, like a different director is filtering that through his, his interpretation of it. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, like it's it's like the I'll call it the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 effect where, you know, that obviously we all know that's like the gayest movie ever made. But the director had no <laughs> idea. But like you could still read all that in there. But like if you choose to ignore it, you could ignore it, too, because it was made by a straight director who had no idea that it was in there. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's like it's it's really interesting. Like, I like, of course, you want to like have like a message in there. But. It's uh, I feel like it's still okay, especially in horror movies for like the message that you are trying to get across, even if it doesn't come across, if somebody is getting something out of it, period, if somebody is reading something in there that you didn't intend, that's still okay. Mm -hmm. Like that makes sense. Yeah, no, as long as they're getting something. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think when you you talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I think about Commando. The movie Commando with oh, us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love that first scene where he's just walking with the giant log and is entering the frame. I just like when I when I realized that even when I watched it when I was younger, you don't realize that. But later on, and when yeah. you realize and that scene comes up, you just I just start laughing because I'm just like, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> Absurd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you got the guy at the end wearing like chains and leather, <laughs> you know, looking for John, looking for Schwarzenegger to stick the knife in. Yep. I'm like, yep. Yeah, I mean, that happens. I mean, look at Top Gun, for Christ's sake. Oh, you course. know, like straight men love that movie, not realizing <laughs> that it's like the gayest thing ever made, you know? That's, like, what, makes, and that's what makes it perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what makes that. What's, that's what makes it rewatchable, because that first movie's not great, but like you can go back and read it in that lens and be like, oh, no, this is interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, of these three shorts, I found that this short, Julie, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I found that this short... I thought would make an interesting feature if they stretched it out in terms of like her past and what, you know, just kind of like how she talked about all these men that she was with. I thought that this, her character and this story, I was like, I could see this as a 90 minute uh, movie. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Oh, I think for sure. And I think they kind of did make that with there's a, uh, a one of the segments in VHS is very similar to this and like, oh, in yeah. The themes of it. I oh, feel okay. like. Um, and they did spin that one off into a 90 minute movie. Um, and also, like I mentioned, you know, you have Jennifer's body, you have other movies that have like kind of this like otherworldly female that's getting revenge on people. And so those movies do exist. And this one I thought thought did have the most potential to be an elongated segment. I mean, there's a lot going on in there that we don't get to explore because it is only like 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also pushing a lot of boundaries. You yes. Know? It's talking about rape. It's like, you know, murder. It's all this like cra- blackmail, you know, he, he roofies like or drink. Shit. Yeah. 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 On like playing on prime time on ABC in the seventies. That's like bonkers in my mind. The fact that they're two large root beers are a dollar. <laughs> that was my first thought when he went that concession and I go, Oh my God. And those are like larges. And I'm like, those are smalls right now. <laughs> yep. yes. I got a large the other day at the movie theater and I didn't make it more than an hour into the movie before I had to run and take a piss. Like, 
I've been there. Um, <laughs> the one, the one quote from this short that I was like, uh, I was like, it was from her friend, Anne, which is like, if you worked, I, at it's it, probably you, the same one yeah, I wrote. If down. you worked at it, you really could be attractive. I'm like, <laughs> yes. hey, man, yeah. thanks Anne. have fun. <laughs> and, and like in what insane fucking, she's all that world is Karen black. Not, gorgeous like <laughs> come on now <laughs> and that's and that's a testament to her in the show because she in the movie because she's wearing very little makeup in terms of that when you first see her yes. as the dowdy teacher um yep. and even when she plays millicent in the second one which which we'll get to she's you know very like she uglies it up and then some actresses wouldn't do that uh they would they wouldn't go that route no, I mean, if you've seen House of a Thousand Corpses, you know that Karen Black <laughs> gives zero fucks about ugling it up. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to story two, Melissa and Therese. Butler, give me your initial thoughts about this one. This was probably definitely, I thought, the weakest of the of the group, but might have been, the more I thought about it, the more it might have been all right back in the 70s. I knew right away that they were the same person, or not right away, but it didn't take me long to figure that out. And I think that that's, and I think one of you guys brought it up earlier comes from, you know, 30, 40 years of movies after this. It's just mm -hmm. taking these kind of stories and running that I saw the twist happening, but I also didn't think it was particularly scary or creepy. It just had a twist at the end. Uh, if that makes like, and then the twist just like happens, they say it. And then the, it just has a sudden cut almost yeah. like there might've been another few minutes of the uh, short that they just cut out. I don't know, like, I don't know the history too much, uh, but this theme of, of the one person, two person, uh, two personalities and one person, uh, same thing, Butler. I don't know if this is one of the first ones to do this, but I think we have all seen this multiple times. Yeah. So I yeah. think that was, you know what I mean? Looking back on it after seeing all these stories, you just, you, you're already expecting it. But back then, like you said, Mike, I'm wondering if this is one of the first times or first stories that really do that. John, I don't know if you know offhand if if this was something that was brand spanking new for people to be uh, uh, exposed to or that just kind of people, maybe they've seen this before. I mean, it's psycho, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's the, you know, it's the dual personality. It's the killer is actually, you know, the the good person, you know, it's. It was a trope. It wasn't exactly a trope back then, but it would become a trope, especially in the 80s, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think it would have been a little more shocking back then. You know, I don't love this segment, but I think it's Karen Black firing on all fucking cylinders mm -hmm. and just like camping it up and going full drag with it. So in that aspect, I appreciate it. But it's definitely the one where like if you were to make it today... The, you know, her being the same, them being the same person wouldn't be the twist. You need a twist on top of that twist, you know, like you, you yeah. have to add another layer to it. You know, yeah. it just it just kind of falls flat with a thud because, you know, it's coming, especially with that God awful shake and go blonde wig <laughs> that uh, Therese is wearing where you're like, well, of course, that's that's not her hair. You know, not, <laughs> right. They even have the line where she's like, oh, her blonde hair, you know, in the in the brush, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not yeah. Brush that ugly ass wig. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember the movie where uh, the twist was the the other uh, the person had a creature living off the, Oh, uh, which we call it. Um, uh, malignant. Remember when, uh, it, at the end of malignant, when you find out the bad, yes. yes. Yeah. Like, like I almost expected like that almost has to be the twist. Well, that's also uh, like yeah. the tales it from the crypt to, episode. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like, like malignant is like the, like super high camp, like, like just full on, you know, modern day spin on this kind of twist, you mm -hmm. know, like, um, you have to go like full crazy with it for it to be an effective thing like malignant. And malignant. I, had, I had fun with malignant, malignant. is insane. And I know I love every second it's, of it. It's <laughs> like it's almost in the uh, I, Mike, you never saw it, right? You told me to watch it. But by the time you told me to, it was like gone. I can't find, couldn't it's, find it. It's so off the wall and just crazy. Yeah. But it's like 
like I told somebody like I'm, I was laughing and he's like, oh, well, it was stupid. I go, no, I was laughing no, because I was no. enjoying it. I was having fun. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. Right. But I almost think that it's it, it it's in the wrong decade, John. It's like that's almost like a 90s film. You know what I mean? Where, oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I, was, and I, mean, I mean, that movie was also taking from the 70s film, The Manitou, too, mm-hmm. as well. Um, So that like I mean, that's another thing. But, you know, that it kind of it did play the same game that, you know, uh, Mil- Melissa and Teresa's playing, you yeah. know. Yeah, no, it's uh, and I'm glad I remembered that now because I kind of want to watch that again. <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's it's worth another watch for sure. Yeah, but like, you have to watch Malignant. I mean, it's it's really worth. It's like a good Saturday night film to watch. It's, it's just on. It, I think it's on HBO Max. There now. we go. Did it get that, back on stream? Yeah, after they take it yeah. away after the, uh, the other thirty five yeah. movies. Yeah, I'm about to say, do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't pay those residuals. Got to take it off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, do you want me to move on to the third story since Millicent and Therese is not really a uh, one that we all love yeah i just want to give like as again one more shout out to karen black's acting in this because i do think she like she's playing such distinct different characters and i think she's having a blast playing both of them you know and this is another one where it's like i don't know it's like the first one where it kind of leaves it up to interpretation if it there was a supernatural bent on it Mm -hmm. because i mean she and it's kind of sad too she kills herself you know Mm -hmm. like that's you know, I, I like it's easy to just like write it off as just kind of like nothing of a segment in the middle of the movie, but it is kind of sad. And all these movies have like a repressed woman as the lead character. And like, you know, we see what happens to them once they're repressed, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you see M- Millicent, you know, she kills herself and that's kind of like super tragic. And you don't really think of it that way at the time because it's like, it, oh, the shock, the twist reveal, et cetera. But, you know, it's she kills herself with a voodoo doll. Like, <laughs> like is did she actually do that or did she kill herself some other way? We don't really know. That's left up to interpretation. I like the voodoo think, doll book that she oh, picks up or the voodoo and spirits book written in like whiteout pen. Yeah. All the yeah, books have perfect. real binding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that like the character Therese is so I think there's pieces of of all the characters like Julie, Millicent and Amelia, who's in the third story are all not, I don't want to say they're not all the same. They're on, but I'm saying that they are, they have um, very distinct. Right. Yeah. Like There's characteristics like that are the same, lead over, yeah. but the, the, the character yeah. of Therese is completely different from all three. Um, yes. almost like Therese is in a different film, even from, even from the guys that are in the movie. It's just a complete, well, also she doesn't, she doesn't actually exist. So true. That's why this she is does true. It. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. All right. So let's go on to the third story, Amelia. And we're just going to talk about this doll. <laughs> where do you want to start with this one guys because i i mean i could start anywhere i mean how she hates her mom uh All the know. conversation she has with herself is awesome oh. i think that's i think that's one of the best displays of her acting talent right there is it's not easy to talk to yourself on the phone in a scene and so many people do it and you're just like all right i'm waiting for my next line waiting for my next line mm-hmm. her conversation is really well done with no one on the other line talking to her and that's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's also an unbroken take, too. So she was just going for minutes on minutes and minutes having a conversation with herself. And that, ma'am, is acting. That's awesome. <laughs> she also rewrote that dialogue with the mother on the phone. That's show. Karen Black wrote that scene because she wanted to make uh, the mother appear manipulative. So the audience would be have a ha- like at the end of the movie would be happy that she's about to take you know kill her mother basically so um she rewrote that dialogue i don't know if you guys knew that i did read yeah that. and it almost it almost feels improv too mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like and like i mean that in a good way because it feels very realistic of like you know not people see you know they'll stammer a little bit you know in real conversation or they'll you know they'll pause from and she has those kind of weird awkwardness of how you really would have a conversation. So it really felt like she was improvising. It's given me very big Alice in the opening of Friday the 13th part two vibes when she was on the phone with her mother, um, but obviously better acted and better shot. Mm. But. Let me ask this question then, because who made that gold chain, which is just like the weakest gold chain in existence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm laughing because I'm just going to, cause I know I brought it up before I'm going to bring it up now. There's so, for those who don't know, I brought up. There's a short film called Karen Black Like Me, uh, and it's it the 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 story is features a gay man who's being terrorized by, by a possessed sex doll, and the chain that he gets is like it's it's a cock ring, and it falls off. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know that Karen Black was a gay icon before, you sure you, do now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, that's I was just like uh, it, that 
First of all, the toy that that goes terrorizes him is huge. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I digress. We, um, do, we don't kink shame around here. Not at all. Not, at, no, not here either. Listen, I, I listen to your podcast, John. I know. <laughs> Unless you're Victor Salva, and that's something if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear us talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Does it hold? I, it's a doll. It's obviously somebody holding a doll it's obviously like like again that's a short film that like uh this the amelia is something that you could see you know a couple of 20 somethings doing just hanging out hey let's do this thing with this doll it's attacking people do you think it holds up i know it is it, it, it hold up for us because of nostalgia do you think if i show this to a 20 year old 22 year old filmmaker that they're gonna just laugh it off um like do you guys think that the third one and especially the doll itself holds up to you know to i guess scrutiny what do you guys think? One of the things I like about this is, uh, you know, I watched this when I was in my mid twenties, I think, or maybe I was still in college, but I remember my mother saying, oh, it's the scariest thing. When I watched it, obviously I did not find it scary at all, but I didn't think it was funny. I thought it was well done. I enjoyed the work that was put into it. I enjoyed the effort. So I think if you watch this as just a casual film goer, you're going to just laugh your ass off. But I think if you're someone who likes film, is interested in film, you'd watch it like you said, look at it like I could make this. This is something I could do. I also enjoy that it's really one of the only ones that's actually in its own kind of way, scary from start to finish. It doesn't have like just, it's not all waiting for the twist. It's this thing is attacking her. It it doesn't take long for that to happen. And the whole thing is just a a whole chase scene in a single location. It's really like you could do this as if you could find a way to do the puppet. Well, a stage play, it's just really, really well done. The fact that she makes not quite as dumb decisions as some horror uh, characters would make in the same situation, I think is really, really cool. I think they cleverly explain why she can't leave the apartment as easily as you normally would. I I just think it's really, really well done. And I think that holds up while not being particularly scary, maybe at the time anymore, but probably was back in 75. You don't think that this movie, if you show this movie to a 13 year old, they're going to get scared. I think if you show this to your son, he might. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's dead. Yeah. I think like for me, it's a lot of nostalgia, too. And, you know, it's watching it now. I still think it like fires on all cylinders. Like it's so well done. Um, but I, I can see like more cynical audiences today just like kind of making fun of it a little bit because it is a puppet, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it is Karen Black, you know, wrestling with an inanimate <laughs> object, trying to make it look <laughs> animate. And I think she did like she doesn't like Bella Lugosi with an octopus. It. She like actually like does a good job of like making it look like it is attacking her and it is a problem. Um, And I also, it's super influential. And I think that's the most important thing that I took away from it Mm -hmm. of this watch. There are shots literally that like child's play recreated um, for a couple of the scenes, like when the mom is first discovers that Chucky is alive and like it rolls under the couch that say like it's almost like very similar shots to in this movie where you know which is still i think is still very kind of tense you know where she's searching under the couch yeah. for the doll um and then the low like traveling the pov shot is straight up sam raimi evil dead so like it was very influential on you know like you could give the movie a lot of shit for the way it looks because it is like a low budget tv movie but this segment in particular i think is like, you know, the first segment is what you can kind of unpack of what's going on in that. And this one is just the straight up horror one where I think you can dissect the actual filmmaking going into it and the innovations that they were doing. And it's just a lot of fun. Mm. No, I, it's, I'm trying, I was thinking of the, the, the moment I like, I know they can't show the doll too much because you don't want to kind of reveal that it's mm-hmm. uh, you want to kind of keep it scary, but when they have, when the the knife is in the doll's mouth as he's trying to climb <laughs> and he's oh opening God, the perfect. door, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, awesome. <laughs> it, I mean, there's a, like, I I do think that it, it like it is, um, you know, it is Dan Curtis. He did have a good sense of humor. If you've watched Dark Shadows, if you watch, you know, um, Burnt Offerings, there are kind of like darkly comedic moments and all those things, and you know, like the. I, I always think of when the, the little knife is going underneath the bathroom door. It's like a cat trying to like oh, yeah. paw in underneath <laughs> yeah. after you. Like I do think some of it is supposed to be a little camp and a little funny. Um, but I still think it works as an effective, like tense scene as well. Mm-hmm. And 
when I say before about like, you know, this is like a short film that, you know, a student can do or a 20 year old, like that's not, that's not a knock. That's like you said, Butler, like people watch this and they're like, oh man, I can do that. It should inspire people to not, to be okay to, to take a chance like that with a doll. As long as you know how to frame and shoot and, and kind of tell your story, you could do it effectively. This, this short, uh, this vignette should show you that you can do that uh, and do it well. Absolutely. That's one of the things I always talk about with like Evil Dead. When people ask why I like Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead so much is they just did it. They went for it. They were just a bunch of students and they innovated and they made it work. And I think with this one, I think they realize, you know, the doll is, you know, tiny. It's silly. So the doll is just brutal. The doll is straight up. He's not like clever. He's not waiting to set a trap. The doll just doesn't stop, which I think also adds to the the tension and quickens the pace of this short even more, even though I think it's on par with the other two as well in terms of length. Uh, I think it's actually even longer than the other ones. It just like flies by so much because there's so much going on yeah, I mean, like from the get go. That guy, he's like, ah, and he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> stop for a second. He just no. keeps on going. <laughs> And the thing is, too, is like she's not stupid, right. you know, like it, it, there's like a couple times in like, you know, whether it's like Leprechaun or, you know, one of the Child's Play movies or something. You're like, well, it's just a little thing. Why can't you just grab it? And like she does that shit, you know, like it's it just gets the like the one up on her every time. But yep. she does everything that you should do if some little kind of <laughs> tiny creature is coming after you. Yeah. she What? She stabs it first. She tries to yeah, drown it, although that, obviously it's yeah. a toy. You can't drown it, but she puts it in the briefcase. She does everything right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And then he throws it in. It's bur- burned it alive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then what are we saying that happens to her at the end? The, the creature. The soul um, gets into it. Like all that smoke is its soul. Yeah. So when she burned the doll, it's the soul escaped out of it. And, you know, when she opened the oven, the soul possessed her. Gotcha. Is what I got out of it. Yeah. Um, and obviously the teeth at the end is just kind of like, <laughs> I don't think the Zuni warrior actually had teeth like that, that <laughs> only the doll did, but you know, that's what, yeah, it, that's it's what, it's what you do in a horror movie. I think that was her idea too. Yeah. Her think. idea was that yes, whole part. It yeah. Was, yeah. And that's a good shot too. That's a really nice, uh, creepy shot when she's bang, when she's sitting there banging the, the, the knife. That's the another very evil dead shot. Cause that's like straight up what Linda looks like when she first gets possessed in the first evil. Dead oh yeah, movie, absolutely. You know, when she's like rocking back and forth in the hallway. So like, like I said, I, <laughs> this one especially is worth a watch for how influential it, it really was on like movies of the eighties and nineties. I'm curious. Cause I didn't ask this before and I usually do. When did you first see this film, John? I always, oh, I was young. Those. Okay. Now was, um, it, was I, this the movie that, was influential in terms of like your writing and, and, and wanting to tell movies, tell stories? Not entirely. So the, the movie that was most influential for me was cause I grew up watching horror movies mm-hmm. and then, um, so scream came out when I was 12. I don't You're making me feel old myself. I was 12. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was the first time I saw a movie where I was like very conscious that somebody wrote that mm-hmm. because like, I was like, Oh, they're referencing everything that I watch. And then, so from 12 on is when I became like just a little more than a casual horror watcher to seeking everything out. And this was one of the ones that I saw out because I saw, uh, it was on VHS at the video store right next to the sequel like the next year or something like that. Oh, remember Blockbuster, um, Tommy? Did. Yeah, I do. I could smell it right now. <laughs> <laughs> did, um, was this your first film realizing uh, Karen Black, or was this was this just kind of? Like, yeah, no. This yeah. was this was my first Karen Black film for sure. And then I went to back to like see like her other film. You know, that's when I discovered like Invaders from Mars. Um, and some of her like earlier work too, you know, obviously Nashville's a classic, but it's not typically like a movie I would go to, Right. but I can't, I can't deny that it's great. And then she would just pop up in, you know, like I said, that gypsy 83 movie, I'd see her like in little pieces here and there. And then obviously Rob Zombie brought her back into like the mainstream with house of a thousand corpses and kind of gave her a little career resurgence before she passed away. Mm. Mike, uh, same question. Is this, when did you first... Because you're the one that suggested this film. Well, this was something my mom had always talked about. Like, it was the scariest thing. The toy was alive. You know, she always talked about, like, that third thing. But I never watched it Was I when I was younger. When I was younger, I really... I liked horror. I watched a lot of horrors, but not if there was a living toy. For some reason, that always scared the crap out of me. Like, I just hated so living toys. you didn't watch Chucky? I did watch... I watched some of Chucky. The, uh, but I had oh, yeah. the, uh, the My Buddy dolls, which are what Chucky <laughs> was based on. 
So I had to throw yeah. that in my closet and they would air those commercials while I was watching cartoons during the day. <laughs> and it just scared the crap out of me. So I never watched it. And then I watched Burnt Offerings in college. I took a horror movie class uh, where we studied horror movies. Uh, I loved Burnt Offerings. I thought it was great. Although, as we talked about, it has issues. Um, oh. <laughs> but I still I don't it. know what you're talking about <laughs> with issues. Listen, I, I put it on the list for that forgotten horror. I, I really enjoy burnt offerings. You guys did not speak enough about how fucking terrifying <laughs> that show fur was. <laughs> it is really bad. Um, but yeah, I remember like Karen Black was really good in it. And my mom, I told my mom about how I saw burnt offerings and she was like, she was in that, you know, that trilogy of terror, the, the living evil uh, African doll thing. So then I went and I found, I guess I just saw that clip. It must've been on YouTube or something, just that one short or I watched all three and just don't remember them. So I watched it in college and I've watched it a few times, just that last segment a bunch of times since then. Um, but I, I always really enjoy it for that kind of campiness. Um, but how just well done it is and how it just goes. It's just such a great horror short. Did you not, were you scared of the clown and poltergeist as well? They, no, the uh, clown actually in Poltergeist. I used to watch Poltergeist all the time when I was little. Yeah, we're 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 kind of geared. I think I'm going to show my uh, middle child Penelope Poltergeist uh, in October. She's uh she's into horror films, and she was all into Stranger Things. So I think I'm going to see if I can scare her. Oh yeah, Poltergeist oh, that's a might safe be a good one. one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll work our way up to scaring her. But yeah, uh, she's already like pressuring me to watch like rated R films. I'm like, okay, calm down. <laughs> um, did you see this quote from Karen Black, John or Mike, um, when she talks about this film, when she Getting says, "I think this li- yes, I think yeah. this little movie took my life and put it on a path that it didn't even belong yeah. in." Do you think that she regrets that path? I'm not. Sh- I don't really. No, I know don't too think much. she regrets it. I think she. So what I take from that is, you know, because I don't think she regrets it, just because she did work with Dan Curtis again after his burnt offerings is after this movie. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't think she had any ill will towards it. It is, you know, she, it just, it did put her on a completely different path. You know, it is, even though like she got rave reviews for it, it is like, you know, some people will consider it like a schlocky kind of B movie. Um, and that was kind of what her career became. Um, but like she would pop up in like other stuff here and there and just be like unreal in it. So it, like when she says that it changed her career, I think it did. But I don't think that's a bad thing because she worked so consistently until she died, you know, like, so it, it, if anything, it maybe like elongated her career. Whereas like if she was just the leading lady, you know, cause I mean, mm-hmm. she worked with Hitchcock after this, you know, mm-hmm. but if she was just like the leading lady, you know, of like a serious movie, maybe her star would have burnt out much earlier. Uh, there's a lot more flexibility given to actors and actresses now than there was back then. You know what I mean? Like they're able to, to do a horror film, to do a schlocky film, to do a drama, to do, they're able to bounce around. Obviously if, if people recognize that they've got the ability, but also it's all about their brand. It's all about their personal brand now. And if they're popular and they'll bring butts in the seats, they're going to, they're going to put them in stuff. Um, And it's, it's too bad because you have a lot of actors that, uh, you know, from 30, 40, 50 years ago that probably would have been, I don't want to say more successful, but more well-known um, uh, by, by, by given that flexibility. You know what I mean? So, eh, you know, it is what it is, but there's definitely more flexibility given now to, uh, to actors. Uh, now, what I like to do, John, is I like to tick off Mike to give him <laughs> critic reviews. And I know you like this film, so I'm going to give you this critic review. So I'm going to tick you off. So here we go. <laughs> Felix Vasquez from cinemacraze.com felt that the first two segments were forgettable and stated that only the last segment was truly entertaining and creepy. Concluding his review, he wrote Trilogy of Terror was an all around disappointing film with a steady focus on psychological torment and less on actual terror or scares. I wish I could join along with the crowd and praise this film, but I would have to be entertained to do so. Your thoughts? <laughs> um, I mean, I understand where he's coming from. That is, I, I don't see how you can just write off that first segment, mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. You know, because of everything that we talked about, because of the gender politics that are going on in it, like there's a lot to dissect there. So when I hear something like that, I'm like, oh, you just didn't fucking pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So or you just had your like brain turned off thinking you were just going to watch some like schlocky, like crap movie without even like understanding 
you know, the time period of which it was released and how like, you know, that was like pushing so many boundaries at the time, you know, to have that kind of subject matter in there and to just like ignore like Karen's Karen Black's performance in both of those other two segments is just criminal in my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when critics go into films with expectations, that's, that's a recipe for disaster because they're not, you know, the stories aren't being told the way you want them to be told. You need to experience it, obviously the way the story is meant to be experienced. And I I wonder if, if I, I don't think I'd ever could be a critic, but if I was, I don't think I'd watch trailers. I think I would just give me this synopsis and I'm going to walk in and I want to see what you got. I mean, I just think that when you, when you start writing critiques and you're saying like, you know, it should have been this and it should have been that it's like, that's not, that's yeah that's not that's a terrible critique that's like that's not helping anybody that's just what you You, want i was about to say you can't judge a movie based on what you want it to be you really have to judge it based on what it is and you know you have to take this as a tv horror movie that aired on primetime and abc in the 70s and like be like okay so what am i looking at from that perspective of it Mm -hmm. what do you think butler i think Again, it does undermine the first one, which has a nice twist, has a nice story plot. Uh, the second one, I'm not going to knock him for that. But you also got to think about the name of the film is Trilogy of Terror. And he is right that the last one is really the only real terrifying tale. Um, well, it's not it's not a, it's a different it's a terror that's more visceral and more, you know, well, I think that's what people immediate. expect from the word terror. Well, it's, sure. it's, a, it's a terror is a more visceral word. Uh, so but again, like you said, you can't just walk in with expectations, but I, I don't disagree, but I do think it undermines the first, the first story, which is really well done and really interesting, especially for back then. But even the second story, and we all said that even though the second story isn't our favorite, it's not, it's more about because we have seen so many films that have come that have been like that. You know what I mean? We've seen that, that plot line already. So it's, I think we're unfortunately like we've, it are we've already expect that that twist, so it's really difficult to be surprised by the second film. You know, it's 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 really difficult to put ourselves in that position back in 1975, watching it and be and being shocked and amazed. Because I wonder if we would have, like, I wonder, Butler, if your mother, if she remember, I, I probably now, but if she remembers her feeling after watching the second one, um, you know, was she surprised? Was she, you know what I mean? Because I'm I'm curious. Like to, I mean, she doesn't know. We don't need to get her on the phone right now. But I'm just. I you mean, know, she'll like, listen to this episode and you'll see Facebook comments on the wall. So you answer those Facebook <laughs> comments. <laughs> I, I would. I would highly doubt she really remembers the first two stories. Okay. I think it really is like that. That last story is what's going to stick with you if you watched it. And it, it's crazy that I hear that a lot too. That people don't remember those first two stories, especially the first one, because I feel like even the end when she's poisoning him. With A, she has that amazing line where he said, you poisoned me. And she said, no, I killed I you. I like that <laughs> line, which is just fucking so good. But like the guttural sounds that he's making as he's like choking on his own, like just intern, you know, whatever's going on yep. is just like, that's like very visceral to me. And I kind of had like a reaction to it of like, oh, this is difficult to watch. On an like, ABC movie, uh, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just like so it's not violent, but it is very kind of like in your face and it is disturbing. Yeah. Do you think, uh, cause we always talk about why we think these movies are forgotten. I mean, we can go through that, but uh, before we do that, I wanted to ask, do you think that you would show this to anybody or do you think that this is the type of film you need, to, you would show to people who like horror films, who uh, you think that you don't want to show this to somebody like a casual horror fan and they just be like, they just crap on it. You want somebody who, you know, would like that. Is that, what do you think? That's that you think that's accurate? Uh, absolutely. I would yeah. never show this to just a casual horror yeah. fan because they would laugh it off the screen. Yeah. Um, they just wanted to, I just don't think they'd appreciate it from where it came from, how influential and influential it was, you know, where, what it did for the time. Um, I don't think they'd appreciate the fact that we got an entire movie of like four different amazing Karen black performances. And I can never hate a movie for that. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's just like, they. it's, you it's just it won't hold up to today's scrutiny if you have somebody who's like oh yeah my favorite movie is the conjuring you know Mm -hmm. yeah this is the this is the type of movie that you would want to show like i don't know at an art house film and then have a q a after with somebody just to talk about it you know that's this is like the perfect type of film for that um father why do you think it's forgotten um 
I think that the third one is the most recognizable, which going back to your thing, I think the third one is one you could show to at least the casual horror fan if they even as long as they like horror. I think if even if they just get the campiness out of it, I think they'll still enjoy it. But I think the other two, it's it's tough because they're so so much so much much of the stories now are cliched at this point. Even the uh, Amelia, it's as fun and as much as I love it. You see, like Child's Play has done it, Evil Dead has done it. There are a lot of things that have done this kind of storyline, and I think if you go back and you go, "Hey, watch this," it's the first one that did it. Today's jaded audience is still going to be like, eh, "I don't care." Uh, but if you really like the movie, if you really like film, you can go and watch that first one and be like, "How was this appropriate for TV in 1975?" Because it clearly wasn't. Uh, and the third one is even the third one with the with the toy. He's there's a lot of blood in it, which I was surprised about the amount of blood because I know there was there were quite a few rules and regulations, at least in terms of film, on how you can show blood, how f- blood was supposed to be filmed, uh, and that maybe it came out later that rule, uh, and then stopped after that. No, they were pretty they were pretty stingent back in this era too about how much blood you can display on screen. Yeah, so I mean there was a lot of blood in that third one. Yeah, there <laughs> but was. I, I, was I think that falls on deaf ears to people nowadays if you try to show somebody, and I think. I don't think making that second one, which is apparently not well received at all, even the uh, third, uh, uh, the Zuni Warrior Returns kind of thing, I think that may have killed its legacy or hurt its legacy a little bit, which is why you don't see a trilogy of terror three or anything like that. Not yet. Listen, <laughs> if I saw that little guy for sale at like a comic con, I would I would buy that statue right away. Oh, you think they don't have that for sale at Comic-Con? <laughs> I haven't seen him yet, but I would I would absolutely buy him. <laughs> uh, I be, I don't think they've ever been officially licensed, but I'm sure you'll find some um, some homemade Etsy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure shit. I could Etsy there that guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, to your point, Butler, I, 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 guys, I don't know if, see if I'm wrong with this, but I think 80s horror is probably easy, the cynical uh, person now, the cynical young filmmaker, young f- movie aficionado, uh, probably can connect with '80s horror a little bit easier than maybe '70s horror because '70s horror is, uh, which I love, is a different breed. It's a different animal. Um, '80s is oh, is is very much you know slasher, very you know in your face. Girls, yeah, girls get chased by a guy in mask, and you know murders happen. They save the day. But '70s, like you really got to think in '70s horror. So um, I think maybe there's it's unfortunate, but maybe some people can't relate to that the horror from the '70s because of that. What do you think of that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like '70s is always been a little more headier. It's been a little more. It's been more about like mood and atmosphere. Where the '80s was definitely more in your face, with like a few exceptions here and there. But even those exceptions, you know, when you look at like a moody one, like um, Ghost Story or The Changeling, stuff like that, they were still pretty graphic and in your face, you know. Um, so it it's definitely like you know uh, the horror nerds today. The oh, the '80s, the '80s, the '80s. But the 70s is kind of like where the building blocks of that stuff came. And I think, you know, true horror fans know that. But it is hard to get anybody to be just like, oh, just sit down and watch this 70s horror movie and have them not be bored by it. John, what do you where do you think? I'm like, now I'm just going to start asking questions about modern <laughs> horror. John, what do you, where do you think we are in modern horror films? Like, where do you because um, for a while it was creepy ghost story stuff. It was, you know, just kind of like, you know, like like Insidious and even The Conjuring yeah. a little bit um, sinister. It was like this like dark presence that's in the area that you can't escape from that you're inevitably going to get. Now, where do you think we are now? Um, right now, you're you're seeing a couple different things. You're seeing the more I hate this term, and I'm only <laughs> using it because you'll know what I mean when I say it. Elevated horror. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're gonna see a lot of that. You're gonna like um. So there are like the more like thinky horror movies, but it's the '90s slasher is really making a return. I feel like um, whether that's a good thing or bad thing is up to your taste on that. We are getting a lot of slasher movies. Um, the new Pretty Little Liar show on HBO Max is legit a slasher show. Really? You know, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. It still has a lot of the teen melodrama of that original series, but it has a slasher in it in addition to that stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, you had uh, one of the the better movies of this year. You had X, which was even though it was a 70s movie, it is a slasher film. I saw that. Yep. Um, a 70s set. Yeah. Uh, you had, you know, the new Scream come out. 
Um, you know, I know what you did last summer, had that TV show. Like you are seeing a slasher resurgence. Um, the mo- my most hated one is the new Halloween trilogy. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. And that's a that's something for another discussion. But I do think you're gonna see a lot of 90s inspired because you know, for a long time we had a lot of 80s inspired, and now the kids that grew up on the 90s horror are starting to become adults and like make their own films. And so you're gonna see a lot more of that. I feel like you're gonna see you're gonna see a resurgence of like that slick, glossy look that the 90s were known for. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally fine with that. I mean, even like bodies, bodies, bodies which is, it's more of a murder mystery, but I guess you can call it like a modern day slasher if you really dissected like the structure of it and everything. That is like, you know, a bunch of, that it's a little more nihilistic than a 90s slasher, but it has like those kind of elements to it where you're going to see more youth targeted stuff, I feel like. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, I saw X, like I said, and and some of the like, what's that movie that just the, the reservation is that the one where they go to the dinner party, uh, and there's they kill the. Did you see the trailer for that? The invitation. The invitation. Invitation. That's it. Not the reservation. Yeah, that uh, the vamp. That's a vampire movie. Uh, yeah. Is it interesting? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that would fall under. I feel like that's going to be like an elevated horror, quote unquote, kind of. Even though it looks it looks more like Ready or Not to me. Yeah. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Or what was the What's the one that takes place in Australia um, where they're in the house and they're terrorized? And, and when the guy, the, uh, she runs out, she tries to run out of the front door and there's that wire that slices her head off. What's the name of that one? Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're next. Yep. You're next. You're next. Yep. Yeah. That, that was Australia. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? It she was a was, foreign I film, wasn't she it? Was, no, she was all, Adam Wingard made that. She was Australian. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know my horror. I just know, yeah. I just know like, I know of them and I'm like, I want to watch that. Before we go, I, I want to ask you this, John, do you think that the advent of digital blood and CGI is a good or bad thing uh, for horror uh, films? I, it, it doesn't work for me and it never worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the sad thing is, is like, it, it doesn't work for us because we grew up on real practical effects, mm-hmm. you know, but kids who did not grow up on real practical effects, who grew up on the CG stuff, they don't see it as a problem because it's all they've known. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm fine with it being like some enhancements, you know, like I know that they, digitally enhanced the practical costume in prey for the predator mm-hmm. um and it looked fucking great you know like so i feel like there is that good marriage mm-hmm. there but if it's like if all your blood is just cg splats on the wall etc i don't i'm not into that right like i just i can't buy into that it's it's very hard to get like really just get affected by it when you know it's not real and like it just yeah you know what i mean like i'm not and, saying like we all need to be squirming in our seats but you do need, you do need to be affected by someone getting murdered yeah and like i do understand why they like i you know i have been on sets where we use real blood and like move like movies where we you know it's just the effect isn't working and it's taking up time and like you can't, you don't have time to change the actor out of the clothes. So you just have to do it. Dig- like I get why they do it digitally. It just, it, it disappoints me every time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Butler, where can they find us? You can find us at forgotten cinema podcast.com or forgotten entertainment.com as we are part of the forgotten entertainment franchise or franchise i don't know i always say something weird with you <laughs> we are part of forgotten entertainment while you're there check out all the other great podcasts and videos forgotten entertainment has for you on that website uh you can also find us wherever podcasts are available and on social media check us out on facebook's the lobby where my mom's going to talk about how scared she was of this uh this third story i'm sure and annoy field to no end with questions that mm. i won't answer because i don't respond no, that's yeah she doesn't annoy me the fact that you don't reply to your mother annoys i me. know <laughs> <laughs> um awesome john thank you so much for being of on the course. show uh do you want to do, do a quick plug for your show again or no do you always want to get out sure. of here <laughs> i mean yeah sure you could uh, you could search it if you can't sit with us um somebody has stolen our name um, right i saw that they said that to you it's about it's a group of like fucking straight white women um so like fuck them <laughs> um you know they're fucking co-opting gay culture forever but uh you can (laughs) you can find us on any place that you can stream your podcast apple itunes you know google play spotify etc um you'll see more we just because spencer moved out of state 
Did he really? So we, yeah, he's what? down in Georgia right now. Oh, I didn't um, know I that. Don't, I don't know if it's forever, but it's for the moment. So that's why we lost our recording because we had to do it um, remotely and I fucked it up because it was our first time doing it. So we're going to figure all that <laughs> out so we could start having more consistent episodes. Um, but other than that, go watch my movies. Yes. Uh, I, yes. Yeah, it's right. I didn't even mention uh, we <laughs> mentioned your screenwriter, but like, yeah, what, what do you got coming out? That's maybe that's available to watch. Um, so you can go watch my Stalker's Prey trilogy, which is Lifetime <laughs> movies, and they have a shark in them. The first one's called Stalker's Prey. The second one's called A Predator's Obsession. Don't ask me why it's not called Stalker's Prey. And the third one is called A Predator Returns. Do not ask me why it's not called Stalker's Prey. <laughs> you just Prey write Prey. them, John. You don't title them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got a couple. I have a horror movie coming out hopefully later this year called The Ouija Witch, which is very similar to the first segment we talked about, like a, a revenge, you know, woman scorned type thing um that was the one where i was given a one sentence like plot and kind of told to go ape shit with it nice and so i just like did my thing <laughs> very nice very and nice. um i have a another lifetime one coming out later this year it's currently called stealing in suburbia but it'll be something different when it actually airs so i don't know stealing pact the circle of lies i don't know whatever the hell lifetime name for shit these days you know <laughs> that that's uh that's fantastic everyone go listen to john's podcast john spencer's podcast you can't sit with us uh it's very good very informative i i i just love hearing him talk about films and and everything else they get up to so that's i hope cool. you're not offended by the f slur because we say it a no, lot man, it's all you go for it it doesn't um please you know me i don't care <laughs> Doesn't bother well, I'm me. Saying any, of you, any of your oh, listeners that go there. to listen. To if, you, if you're soft, don't listen to this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're a fucking pussy who can't take it, no, awesome. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you uh, very Thanks, much. You. This is fun. And join us next week as Forgotten Horror rolls on with a 2005 Wes Craven film, Curse. That's right. It's Get about it. werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So we'll be watching that next week and talking and having so much fun. Uh, until then, I'm Mike Phil. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. No. Forgotten Horror. Correct. Horror.